Hi, I'm Callie. And I'm Rachel. And we are Pelvic Service Announcement. Back for another episode. Episode three. Man. And what an exciting episode it is. (laughs) Yes. This episode is all about anatomy. So classes in session, there will be a quiz, there will be an exam, get your notes out. Um, Like we talked about last time, just even knowing anatomy can be so beneficial for knowing what's going on and if you don't really know kind of how those muscles are supposed to function that there are muscles kind of how everything ties together it can be um can be kind of difficult and even make going to see a pelvic therapist a little intimidating so well and we wanted to establish this because last week we talked about um what is normal and it's like okay what makes that normal and so many patients literally probably 95 to 99 percent of our patients have no idea they had a pelvic floor let alone what it is or they think it's um one muscle or around the vagina men and women both don't know that men even have a pelvic floor so we just wanted to really establish just what exactly the pelvic floor is um now that you guys know what it does and this is a little bit meteor I guess Mm -hmm. so we're gonna try to make it as fun as possible yeah Um, and if we we might use kind of some we're gonna use kind of like the actual anatomical terms for things because again that is the medical terminology and that's kind of what you should know um and so it'll kind of help and like you know like I said it it helps going in if you do end up going to see a pelvic therapist knowing like okay I think that x y and z is going on I think it's this muscle I'm having issues here at this joint just kind of being you yourself kind of more comfortable with your own anatomy and kind of the terminology so that's kind of what we want to do yep let's start with the bones I tell patients all the time the bones are so important because it's just like when you're building a house the most important part is that foundation the beams the studs all of that that's what everything attaches to and in your body it's the same way so really in the pelvic floor the the key players are you've got two hip bones which I tell patients if you'll put your hand on your hip right there that bony that hard part that's your hip bone you've got one on each side they kind of go down to the bottom to those sit bones or ischial tuberosities is the the anatomical Mm -hmm. term Um, and those bones they fuse in the back to your sacral bone which is kind of a continuation of the spine and it ends in your tailbone or coccyx is the Mm -hmm. anatomical term and then they fuse in the front at a joint called the pubic symphysis so that's kind of the the layout there yeah so the pelvis it you know like Kelly said it's got three different bones and three different joints too Um, and this is the same for both males and females I don't know if I think most of us have kind of accepted our love for true crime so if you've ever seen like (laughs) how they identify like oh this is a male this is a female oh how can you tell it's because of the pelvis they are shaped a little bit differently Um, for women a recurring theme that you will find through anatomy is 
we're designed to have babies and like that's like pretty much everything the way that our bodies function is to have a child is to bear a child um and so our pelvis structure is a little bit wider and a little bit more um broad than the men to allow for a baby to kind of pass through um like Kelly said, pelvis is the foundation of our house. Um, and definitely in the body, I think like the pelvis acts just as literally like the foundation of our house. It's, it's yeah. the pelvis. Everything comes down to the pelvis. And we're not just saying that because we're pelvic floor therapists no. and we love <laughs> We like the pelvis. It really, truly, genuinely is the foundation of your house. As you lift, as you walk, as you run, as you carry things, as you carry a child or as you birth a child, like all of those forces are transmitted through the pelvis and through those bones. And so if you don't have the proper structure and stability, whether it's through the bones and through the ligaments, which we're about to get into, then that can absolutely play a role in any sort of pelvic floor dysfunction, muscular dysfunction, things like that. Okay. So you mentioned ligaments. The main player in the pelvic floor is called the arcus tendineus levator ani, or the atla. Um, this is technically a ligament, but it, there is tendon also part of the name. It's really just a thick bundle of fascia, um, and it runs, I'm going to use some big words here, it runs from the posterior pubic ramus to the ischial spine. Um, basically those are two points in the pelvis. Like if you were looking straight down at a pelvis, how there's that big hole in the middle, the atla runs from the back to the front, kind of a little bit at at an angle. Um, but what this tendon and ligament does is it allows for insertions and connections of muscles of the pelvic floor. It's the origin for multiple pelvic floor muscles. Um, And like I said, it allows that attachment for some of the other muscles, gives it kind of a stable line to pull from. Um, You can actually feel the atla internally. One of the things that we're going to tell y'all to do, take a look and stick a finger up there. Truly, the best way to know what's going on in your body is to figure it out for yourself. Um, And so putting a finger inside of yourself whether that's vaginally or rectally whatever you're comfortable with go for it um but just you can, wash your hands first <laughs> and after <laughs> and wash after. your hands before and after um but you can actually feel that atla um it kind of feels like guitar strings um so it's kind of cool to the first time i think the first time that i palpated it in my in the class that i took i was like wait what what <laughs> Yeah, like a guitar string or almost mm-hmm. like a pencil eraser. Yeah. It's like it's a firm, more taut band. The muscle tissue, healthy muscle tissue, when you're in there, it should feel soft, pillowy. And so if you have a healthy functioning pelvic floor, that's really, really going to stand mm-hmm. out. Yeah. And it, it might be a little bit sensitive, too. For most people, there is a little bit of tenderness over the atla. It's like, don't go digging around in there and start no. pressing on it. It might be a little bit tender, even in normal, healthy, functioning pelvic floors. I actually know someone, it's an acquaintance, and they were telling me their pelvic floor therapist mm-hmm. recommended a pelvic wand, which we'll talk about those, but they thought they were working on kind of calming down some muscle tissue, working on sore muscle, and they found a point, and they kept working it and working it, and it just kept getting worse and worse. Well, they were working the atla and ended up giving themselves kind of like a tendonitis, ligament irritation problem. So um, 
So tread lightly around the outlet. <laughs> Don't. Definitely. Um, another big player is the sacrospinous ligament. Um, this can also be palpated internally. It is underneath or deep to one of the pelvic floor muscles called the coccygeus. Um, and it basically runs from the sacrum to the ischial spine, again, kind of running from the back to the front. Another ligament that just kind of adds to the stability of the pelvic girdle, gives muscles their attachment. Again, if you want to see if you can find it go for it might be a little bit sensitive yeah and you got to get pretty deep in there if you're going to look for this one yeah (laughs) okay so that's really the key players in just the passive support of the pelvic floor which just means those don't contract that's not the contractile tissue it's just tissue that's there it's stationary and it's really key in support Mm -hmm. moving on to the fun part (laughs) Let's get into the actual muscle tissue of the pelvic floor. And so a lot of patients are really confused when they come in with pain with intercourse, urinary incontinence, any other of the pelvic floor dysfunctions. I mean, they're like, why in the world am I seeing a physical therapist when I'm my problem's wetting my pants? Yep. Like, How in the world does a muscle specialist mm-hmm. have anything to do with this? And I always tell people it's because it's muscle, your pelvic floor, the things that control that, it's made up of muscle tissue, just like your biceps is muscle, just like your quad is muscle, your pelvic floor is muscle. And that is why as movement specialists, muscle specialists, we can address this. Absolutely. Um, I found a good quote from this article. It's literally just called Pelvic Floor Anatomy and Function. I'm going to butcher this person's last name, so I'm so sorry. (laughs) Um, uh, Barucha, I think, uh, published in 2006. Um, Basically, it says the pelvic floor is a dome-shaped striated muscular sheet that encloses the bladder and rectum and in females the uterus and together with the anal sphincters has an important role in regulating storage and evacuation of urine and stool. So I think that's a great just like, yeah, there's pretty technical terms in there, but at the end, like it still is you know, just a quick one sentence blurb about kind of, yeah, it is a muscular sheet. And I like that phrase because it is like a sheet. It's these muscles aren't super thick. You're not going to get, you know, the muscle mass that you do getting from doing bicep curls all day long. (laughs) Um, but it, it is so, so, so important in again, regulating that storage and evacuation. So, um, that's why you're sent to a physical therapist for these things, because again, it comes down to muscle function and bony alignment and neural health. That is what we have our doctorate degrees in. Mm -hmm. When I took my pelvic class, the instructor, I love her to death. She kept saying over and over again, she just laughed. She was like, this is ortho in a warm, dark place. (laughs) That's all pelvic floor therapy is. It's ortho. And when we say ortho, we're referring to like orthopedic, I guess the orthopedic branch of medical care and healthcare. Basically what you think of when you think of physical therapy. So knee replacement, physical therapy, ACL tear, physical therapy, shoulder, physical therapy. Yeah. 
that's orthopedic physical therapy and pelvic floor physical therapy like you said it's just orthopedic in a warm dark place yes (laughs) ma'am so yes so that's why you're sent to a pt for these things um let's jump into the muscles there are three different layers of muscles that make up the pelvic floor and 20 muscles as a whole 20 the way these muscles work together the way they function is so complex and awesome and that's why we wanted to talk about this episode because you'll see on the social media post when we post it I mean just how cool I'm gonna nerd out for a second how cool (laughs) it is the way everything's put together and you can kind of you'll probably be able to kind of see the layers when we post Mm -hmm. it we'll if you listen to the episode, you'll definitely be able to go back and tell, but it's very, very complex. It's so much more than just one muscle yeah. around the vagina. It is. It is intricate. It is, like Kelly said, just so well put together. And when these muscles function properly, it's phenomenal and it's, it's pretty cool. So layer one is called the urogenital triangle or the UGT. And for... Real quick, for the most part, all of these muscles and all of these layers are the same for men and women. Some of the muscles have a little bit of a different name for, you know, the male-female counterpart um, and a little bit different function, but for the most part, it is exactly the same, Mm -hmm. which I also think is really cool. So, like, Yeah. yeah, even if, you know, for men, I know most men aren't very receptive to getting pelvic floor PT, which we will get into, but um, it is still important that you know what these muscles are. So UGT, urogenital triangle. We have the uh, bulbocavernosis or the bulbospongiosis. So bulbocavernosis is uh, in females. Bulbospongiosis is in males. Um, That muscle is responsible for clitoral and penile erection, which we kind of touched on last week. Interesting you said that because we always kind of associate erection or erectile tissue with males. Mm -hmm. That's what so many of my patients, when we talk about, when I say this muscle is responsible for clitoral erection, they're like, wait, what? Hold on. Yes, women during sexual arousal, these muscles give you clitoral erection. Next muscle is the ischiocavernosis, also responsible for clitoral and penile erection. And the last muscle of the UGT is the superficial transverse perineal. Um, This muscle helps to support the perineal body. Um, I believe the... Oh, what else is it? It's also called the taint, I think. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. The perineal body is just the area between... In women... The vaginal opening in men, it's the the peanut, the tip of the, or the end of the penile shaft. Base, yeah. The base. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> um, it's that area between there and then the anal opening. So just that kind mm-hmm. of, what is it, like half inch, inch quarter of yeah, an inch something area like that. between um, those two areas. And that muscle that she mentioned, it's just plays a pretty key supportive role yeah. in that. And so. the other two are responsible for the sexual function. Mm-hmm. So all those three muscles, and you'll be able to see on the picture, they literally do make yeah, a triangle. Yeah, it just looks like a triangle. Fancy triangle. Very fun. Very fun. <laughs> That's UGT. So the next layer, I always tell patients, layer two is your squeezers. Oh, I like that. Sphincter muscles. Basically, they're just circular muscles that squeeze. Yeah. 
two at the anal opening. You've got one that is internal. You do not control that. Your body, that's it's under what's called involuntary control. And then you've got one externally that you do control. So even if your body's saying, hey, we're having a bowel movement, you can control that external anal sphincter and keep it closed and say, nope, we are not in a toilet. We are not ready yet. We will not be having that bowel movement yet. (laughs) And then you've got another one of those squeezers around the urethra, which just keeps urine in your body until you're ready to let the urine out of your body. Yep. Obviously, those are pretty key players in maintaining continence, both urinary and bowel. Last layer is called the levator ani. You might also hear it called the pelvic diaphragm. Um, There are four muscles in this layer. I have the pubococcygeus, which elevates that perineal body. Um, And you also have the puborectalis, which helps to close the pelvic floor. Um, The iliococcygeus, elevates the pelvic floor and also supports pelvic viscera which we will get into here in a second and you also have the coccygeus muscle which helps stabilize the coccyx and also helps to support the pelvic viscera so these deeper muscles are kind of um they're really the support muscles Mm -hmm. of the pelvic diaphragm and of the pelvic floor um the way that i kind of explain it is basically like not only did these muscles support, you know, the bladder and the uterus and the rectum, but they also support the rest of the abdominal contents as well. The stomach, the large intestine, mm-hmm. small intestine, all of that sits and rests on this muscle layer. And so it is super, super important and just kind of overall support of keeping things where they need to be. And I think something else that's key in understanding these muscles, when we look at the body, We've got two of everything. So you've got two eyes, two arms, two legs. And when you think of these muscles, that's really how they function as well. They're in pairs. So each muscle, you've got one on the right, one on the left. And when I think about that levator ani group, I almost like imagine if you take your hands and you cup them together, that's each side of the muscle sit there and they hold all those internal organs and they hold them together. And so it's important that they're strong and that they function properly because you can imagine if I'm sitting here holding something with my hands kind of cupped together and if one of my hands is weak or it's not doing its job, well then I'm not going to be able to hold what I'm supposed to hold properly. And that's kind of how those muscles work. So they need to be able to function Um, in coordination with one another. Um, They need to be strong and have the ability to contract when appropriate or relax when appropriate. And so I think it's really key to understand that bilateral, both sides Mm -hmm. of the body function of the muscle tissue. Yeah. And it might be one of those things, and I've seen it not very often, but every now and then, um, I'll see, you know, difference in muscle function on either side. And it's not like you can, you know, I can contract my left bicep. I can't just contract my left pelvic floor. Right. (laughs) If you have that kind of control, please come teach me. Yeah. (laughs) That'd be really freaking cool. But, um, it's, you know, it's one of those things where every now and then I will see, um, I had one patient not too long ago. She had an overactivity, on just the left side of her pelvic floor and it was bad too like it was pretty intense right side was totally normal totally working just fine but because the sides kind of weren't able to kind of counterbalance each other and counteract that 
like the other force in the pulling, she was having pubic symphysis pain and it was popping all the time. And so we uh, worked on that overactivity, literally did, you know, got her a pelvic wand, did some internal release of those muscles just on that left side, got her a um, a stability belt and she was good to go. Like she, if we were able to kind of take care of things pretty quickly, but it was just kind of one of those things where I was like, okay, wait, like this side is totally fine, but this, we got some problems. Over <laughs> we got to work on this one. I think it's so interesting and key to understand that, understanding that, um, that these are muscles because mm-hmm. people can see, I tear my bicep, it gets better. It gets fixed. But when you don't understand that that's muscle, people come in and they think I'm broken. I'm going to be like this forever. There's something wrong with me. I just don't work right. And so I think it's pretty empowering to understand, no, it's muscle. Just like if you, you sprain your ankle, you can get it fixed. It's just a muscle dysfunction. Mm -hmm. You've just got to figure out how to fix it. And I think that can actually be really comforting to a lot of people understanding no, it's muscle tissue. It can heal. We can restore function and it's, it's all going to be okay. Absolutely. So those are all the layers of the pelvic floor muscles. Again, if you're curious, beautiful layers, beautiful pelvic floor. (laughs) If you're curious, wash your hands. Step one, step two, stick a finger up there, see what happens. But I think it's um, important to understand the depth at which these layers are when you are doing a self-exam. So that layer one we talked about If you take your pointer finger and find kind of that first little knuckle joint at the very tip of your finger, if you go in about that deep and kind of go all the way around that vaginal opening or anal opening, if you're a guy doing this, that's going to be that layer one, that kind of triangle that we've talked about. And then layer two, kind of those sphincter layers, second knuckle. And you can kind of feel that urethral sphincter is obviously going to be up near your urethra. When you press on it, it might make you feel like you have to urinate. Anal sphincter. Yeah. Anal sphincter is down. Going to feel like you're on the anal opening. And then that whole third layer is at that third knuckle. Mm -hmm. And so if you go in there and kind of do a sweep, that's when you'll be on the third layer. Mm -hmm. That's when you're going to get into um, feeling those ligaments that we talked about and so that'll kind of help orient you if you do decide to do a little self-exam to know what layer you're in and what you're feeling yeah um the other thing another good thing to know is kind of what good healthy resting muscle tissue feels like it should feel like everybody take your hand it should feel like the meat of your thumb when everything is nice and relaxed it's squishy like Callie said it's pillowy it's soft it gives a muscle that is holding on to too much tension or is over contracted feels like if you were to cross your thumb over your palm like you were holding up the number four now if you feel that meat of your thumb it is firm it's tense it's hard it doesn't give as much that's literally what the pelvic floor feels like like you can feel that tension if that muscle is kind of over contracted it might be a little bit sensitive it might be a little bit tender so again just don't go in mashing on yourself be gentle <laughs> Uh, but that's kind of what we're looking for as, as pelvic yeah. therapists is, you know, we, we know what mm-hmm. good, healthy resting muscle tissue feels like. We know what kind of spasmed muscle t- tissue feels like too. So that's kind of a good way for you yourself to know like, okay, what, what's kind of going on? Does it feel rested? Does it feel, um, or does it feel a little bit more firm? If it feels like in your pelvic floor, when you're making that number four, it feels like that 
taut muscle tissue, mm-hmm. come see us. Come see us. I think that's also how you tell how well done a steak is. Oh, I did not know that. <laughs> that's I'm awesome. pretty sure that's a thing. <laughs> well, steak is muscle tissue, so that would actually make that a lot makes of sense. sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, real quick, I just wanted to run over some other muscles that we're going to look at as pelvic PTs. It's not just the pelvic floor. It's not just the pelvic floor. Um, there are There's another muscle that can be palpated internally, even though it does not have specific function to the pelvic floor. It is actually a hip external rotator. Um, It is called the obturator internus. What that muscle does is hip external rotation. So if you had your leg nice and straight, knee straight, and you turn your toes outward, that is external rotation. Um, The obturator internus is responsible for that. It can be palpated internally. I don't know where we petition to get the obturator internus officially added to the pelvic floor, but I would like to talk to somebody I, w- I would like to sign that um, petition, please. because so many times my patients come in with unexplained hip pain they've done physical therapy for their hip it just never got better it's kind of on the side sometimes they say it hurts worse when they're laying on that side but it's just like a deep hip pain and so many times that obturator internus is involved really the best way to treat it is with pelvic floor physical therapy. So I think that should qualify it for pelvic floor muscle, even though it's not a part of the pelvic diaphragm, quote unquote. I don't know. I just think maybe that's a movement we can start. I mean, like if you can feel it internally, I feel like it should be part of the pelvic floor. Um, We're also going to look at a muscle called the piriformis. It is also a hip external rotator. It also does internal rotation when the hip is flexed or bent. It assists in a little bit of abduction of the hip, meaning bringing your hip out to the side. Piriformis can be kind of a gremlin when it comes to hip and low back pain. I think nine times out of 10, I'm like, hey, does this hurt? And they're like, yeah, don't freaking touch that. Well, and another fun little fact about piriformis is everybody's heard of the sciatic nerve. It's this absolutely massive nerve that so often can cause problems. And that piriformis runs right over that Mm -hmm. nerve. So if that piriformis is tight, it's dysfunctional, then you can have all kind of nerve pain nerve referral that shooting electric pain down the leg we're also going to look at the hip flexors the hip extensors the glutes we're also going to look at your core Mm -hmm. and this is huge 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 Um, specifically this muscle called the transverse abdominis is our best friend as pelvic pts Um, we kind of talked about last time how the pelvic floor and the diaphragm work together well the transverse abdominis is also involved in that too Um, the analogy that I use is that your trunk is kind of like a soda can Um, so your diaphragm forms the top the pelvic floor forms the bottom and the transverse abdominis forms the sides when everything is functioning properly the way it should be things are great things are strong it's like an unpopped soda can you squeeze it nothing happens you get that good tension nothing happens versus if there is any dysfunction or weakness in any one of these muscles it's like that soda can was popped you squeeze it liquid comes out some direction yeah (laughs) and so that's kind of why we want to take a look at the core and make sure that again everything is working together there is some co-contraction involved with the transverse abdominis and the pelvic floor are those muscles working together are they talking to each other and that's a big 
problem we see a lot is muscle imbalances and when you get a weakness then you get an overcompensation and it can cause you know overuse or pain in the one that's overcompensating because the other one's weak and so that's why when people you know we talked about last episode people say hey what do I do for this well (laughs) that's kind of a loaded question because something might be hurting because something else is weak and if you just address what is hurting you could be missing the whole picture I mean you can sit there and massage something but it's just going to come back because you never address the root of the problem and that is why getting in to see a therapist is really important that's why assessing all these things as a therapist is important because you want to address the root of the problem. You don't want to just symptom chase. Our professors would be so proud. That was <laughs> the most beautiful, <laughs> eloquent statement I think I've ever heard. I think you'll ask any PT, or really any healthcare provider, I think it's like, oh, what do I do for X, Y, and Z? The answer 99% of the time is it depends. <laughs> I, I've been waiting <laughs> three years. <laughs> to get to say it depends <laughs> it's like a running joke in PT school it's like how many times like have you asked your professor a question and all you get is it depends because you go and you're so hungry for this knowledge and you were like <laughs> I am just going to be filled they are going to have an answer to every question this is going to be so straightforward and and so you go And you're thinking, great, I can't wait to ask this question and get a black and white answer. And you ask, and they say, well, it depends. Great. (laughs) Three years I've been told it depends. And now I think I got a straight answer like maybe one time. And that was like, okay, I have this patient. They're this many years old. They've been in the hospital for this long. They've had this this procedure and X, Y, and Z. And then this happens. Their lab values are this. Their cognition is this. And like, it just had to go through everything. It's like, oh, okay, well, if you know all of that, then sure. But it's like, if it's something as straightforward or what seemingly a straightforward question of, hey, how do I improve my pelvic floor? It's like, okay, well, what's wrong with yeah. it? How long has it been going on? What else is involved? There's so, There's so, so, so much more many that goes things. into it. And, yeah. and if you do have a PT that can just give you a cookie cutter answer to everything, that's a red flag. That's a red flag. Because everybody's different. Everybody's pelvic floor is yeah. a little bit different. These muscles we talked about, that's a basic structure but everything is different um blood vessels are in different places for everyone nerves are in different places that's something in pt school we had to take cadaver dissection which is the dissection of a body so that we actually can see what the body looks like and i remember being so frustrated because i would have a textbook in front of me and i'm like (laughs) this is where the nerve is and i would look at my body and i have it i have it right there i'm looking textbook says the nerve is here there is no nerve Because everybody is different and really what normal is is just a general sense or a kind of a roadmap to get you in the general vicinity, but everybody is different. And so until you understand you, your therapist understands you, there's just no way to be like, this is exactly what you have to do. Yeah. Not that simple. All right. One other core muscle that I want to touch on real, real quick is called the rectus abdominis. Um, this is your six pack muscle. Um, this muscle for, for some of us, for some of us, <laughs> if you can see it, good for you. Basically, this muscle mainly comes into play, I will say, with our pregnant ladies um, or people that have had a lot of just abdominal weight gain. Um, I've seen it a few times in some older gentlemen that have 
maybe a little bit of a beer gut. Um, basically, as a baby grows or as you drink more beer, um, <laughs> the stomach expands and grows. You get a little bit of extra weight gain through the stomach. What that causes is a separation of the rectus abdominis. So the way that rectus abdominis is in the abdominal cavity, if you'll kind of imagine where your ribs are down to that pubic symphysis we mentioned, is it's just like a sheet right in front of mm-hmm. that area over your organs, kind of protecting your organs, supporting your spine, all of that. And so that's why, like she mentioned, as baby grows or as beard grows, it pushes behind that abdominal sheet. And if that's not strong enough or there's too much growth too quickly, you can get separation Mm -hmm. of that sheet of muscle. Yep. So the two sides of the rectus abdominis come together, what's called the linea alba. It's another kind of fibrous mass, so to speak, network that kind of helps hold both sides of the abdomen together. When things grow too quickly, um, that is kind of where that separation comes from. I will say most of the time, any sort of separation, it's called the diastasis recti, by the way. We measure it in finger breadths, in finger widths. Um, A lot of times it can heal on its own from, you know, just behavioral modifications. We um, got a couple tricks to kind of help facilitate that closure. Essentially what it is is a hernia. Um, As you kind of a way to test to see if you have one lay down on your back Um, you can keep your knees bent and your feet flat but lift your head up off of the pillow and you're going to want to kind of start at your belly button put a finger kind of pointing at your belly button um, kind of lengthwise along your abdomen right in the center and if you feel any separation on either side then that is a little bit of a diastasis Um, again you can measure it in finger widths Um, I've seen anywhere from half a finger width to four fingers so it just kind of depends on um, you know what's going on but that's kind of a good way to test if you have one Um, again absolutely something that we can address in pelvic floor physical therapy And something that's super interesting about the separation of those abdominal muscles, it's not always weak, out-of-shape people that get them. We actually were looking at some Instagram, what are they, like Instagram influencers, like power or weightlifting, bodybuilding, Instagram influencers, and Rachel and I were noticing there were a couple of them that actually had the separation. You could see yeah, it, too. Yeah, it was bad. Um, I think it was a, uh, somebody that had done, like, a bodybuilding competition, so not an ounce of body fat on them. You could see literally every single muscle. And I was like, okay, like, this person, like, they look really, really good, but, like, am I going crazy, or can I see yeah. at least a two-finger diastasis? I have one. I have, like, half a finger, and it bothers me so bad. <laughs> And it, like Callie said, it's not just, um, you know, pregnancy and weight gain is definitely the most common ones. But if you're not breathing correctly, if you're lifting improperly, if your core isn't braced when you're exercising or doing whatever, um, it can also kind of cause some increase in strain through those muscles and they're just not able to accommodate for that. And again, we've talked about this pelvic floor being a muscle. It's so important to understand how muscle imbalances can play a role because 
you can be an extremely healthy, active, fit person and still have a pelvic floor dysfunction. Mm -hmm. It doesn't just happen to unhealthy, out of shape people. Happens to everyone. It happens to everyone. And so that's why it's really key to understand what the pelvic floor is, how it functions. And that's why we really wanted to start out with this. I know anatomy is a little bit drier um, for somebody who, you know, tunes in for our humor because we're so funny. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, But it's really, really important to have this base moving forward as we get into the more fun stuff so that you understand what we're talking about and why we don't just give you a cookie cutter answer whenever you say hey this hurts what do I do exactly all right that's all I got on muscles well let's move on to nerves because nerves are fun nerves are so fun um biggest thing I think kind of like a way to kind of comprehend what's going on in the pelvis um we've all heard of the brachial plexus right it's at least I think most people have um brachial plexus is like that dense and dense dense network of nerves that start in your neck and run all the way down the arm so if you watch Grey's Anatomy um when Preston Burke gets shot spoiler um sorry and Derek Shepard, neurosurgeon, is nervous about removing the bullet because it's near the brachial plexus. He's nervous because that bundle of nerves pretty much controls the entire upper extremity. It's just an intense network. So if you're wondering where you've heard brachial plexus, it's probably Grey's Anatomy. Grey's Anatomy. You have that same bundle, that same plexus in the hips and in the lumbar spine. It's called the lumbosacral plexus. Talked about a little bit less but still the exact same thing, the exact same network. So it's kind of a good way to kind of think it literally is just like an intense highway, lots of crisscrossing, lots of, um, you know, repeated communications between nerves that kind of just expand down the legs, um, and especially into the perineum as well. There's a lot of sensation in between your legs. Which is a good thing. Most right, of us appreciate so. that yes. when it's when it's working properly. <laughs> you you want that you sensation, want that. that motor control for a lot of reasons. So nerves basically they do one of two things or both. Um, they either send signals to the brain with information of sensation, whether that's light touch, pressure, temperature, things like that. Those are nerves that are conducting those messages. Um, They also run from the brain to muscle to tell that muscle to contract. Um, So you either have motor or sensory nerves. Most of them do a little bit of both. And when talking about the pelvic floor, you can't talk about the pelvic floor without talking about the pudendal nerve. That is the, that is the mothership of the pelvic floor. That is the most important nerve of the pelvic floor. It is responsible for motor control, which that's making it contract of those sphincters, both anal and urethral sphincters. So this nerve controls if you can keep from pooping your pants or peeing yourself. Um, And then it's also sensation to pretty much the entire external portion of the pelvic floor. Including the clitoris and the penis. So if there is damage to this nerve, you could have sensation impacted from this nerve not firing properly. And when we say damage, it doesn't mean you have to have been in some horrible car accident and shattered your pelvis and severed your pudendal nerve I mean that'll do it but compression long-term compression from I don't know muscle dysfunction 
that can cause problems with that pudendal nerve. And you know what can help with that? Pelvic floor physical therapy. Exactly. I saw, found something that was super, super interesting. I was talking about different ways that the pudendal nerve can be damaged. One of them included chronic constipation and straining. Oh, what did we talk about last week? We all think constipation's normal. It's not. It's not. So. So stop straining. Stop straining or you're not going to be able to have an orgasm. Thank you. Good night. Goodbye. Um, yeah, I thought that was super, super interesting. That is Just interesting. Constant or con- chronic straining can actually damage the pudendal nerve. Um, also, an episiotomy can damage the nerve. We will get on that soapbox another day. So if you don't know what an episiotomy is, it's when a woman is giving birth and the baby's head's not fitting. And instead of letting that perennial body that we talked about, that I don't like using taint because I really think that's slang. Yeah. But (laughs) that area, because that'll help people know what I'm talking about, instead of letting it just naturally tear, a physician or whoever cuts it. Yeah. That's an episiotomy, and that can damage the pudendal nerve. We don't like episiotomies. No. Um, Just our own kind of soapbox. Real quick, it's better to let yourself tear as gross and you know kind of gruesome as that sounds you're only going to tear however much you need to tear versus a physician when it comes down to it they're going to cut as much as they can probably we could probably make a whole episode over yeah to episiotomy or not episiotomy um basically tears just heal better yeah they heal better and there's less risk of damage to the pudendal nerve so if you want to have an orgasm in the future let yourself tear. Let yourself tear. Which is easy for me to say because I've never had a baby. However, <laughs> I am a pelvic floor physical therapist. So um, another major role or another major player in um, neural support is literally called the nerve to the pelvic diaphragm. Very creative, that one. Very fancy. Yes. Um, it is actually root directly off of that sacral plexus and it goes right to these muscles. Um, it it innervates the entire pelvic diaphragm group, that levator ani group, um, and the coccygeus. Um, again, trauma can come from chronic constipation, a prolonged or difficult labor, and even deep pelvic surgeries. So so moral of the story is keep your pelvic floor healthy, keep your bowel movements healthy, keep the nerves healthy. That's beautiful. That That is it. Okay. Last but certainly not least, these aren't technically a part of the pelvic floor. However, they do sit on top of the pelvic floor. So we are going to talk about organs. Because I mentioned earlier how that levator ani muscle group kind of cups, like your two hands cup, the organs. So what are the organs and what role do they play with the pelvic floor and its function? So the main ones that sit right on top of those muscles are first your bladder and then kind of behind that you have your uterus and then behind that is your rectum. And then on top of all of that is literally your entire abdominal cavity. So everything. All your guts. Stomach, intestines, everything is sitting and being supported. I tell patients all the time, your pelvic floor, I show them the model or the picture that Rachel's going to post on our social media, if you'll look at the bottom of your pelvis, 
there are no there's no bony thing there your pelvis is an open hole the bony the bony structure just leaves an open hole which means your pelvic floor is the only thing that keeps your insides from becoming your outsides so you want to take care of your pelvic floor please and thank you um I totally just lost my train of thought. Um, kind of what Callie was saying is that like there's the entire GI tract sits through the pelvic floor. So if something is going on gastrointestinally, there's a good chance it's going to affect the pelvic floor and vice versa too. Um, and so one of the things I always ask is, you know, have you had any abdominal surgeries, right? Any hernia repairs, appendectomy, gallbladder, for whatever reason, it's... I don't know what it is. Almost every single one of my patients has had their gallbladder removed. And I'm trying to figure out, is there a correlation between, like, do a lot of people just have their gallbladder removed? Or is that something that's related to pelvic floor dysfunction? Yeah. And I I don't know what it is because it's like so many of my patients have had their gallbladder out and then have, you know, issues with digestion. And, you know, the gallbladder does play a big role in digesting foods, especially fatty foods. Um, so you go through the Chick-fil-A drive through and you don't have a gallbladder, you might have some problems. <laughs> yeah. But um but yeah, so is anything missing is kind of one of my biggest questions, right? Again, appendix, gallbladder, um, a complete versus a partial hysterectomy, prostatectomy. Um, again, just kind of going through, okay, what other abdominal surgeries have you had? Um, things like bowel resections, um, colostomy bags, things like that can have a huge, huge, huge impact on the pelvic floor muscles. We don't think about it. But that scarring and that scar tissue, even if it's way up in the abdomen, can cause restrictions in abdominal visceral mobility, which can then restrict the pelvic floor. Well, let's do a little exercise. Everybody on your lower abdomen, I want you to take that and pull kind of up and press in. Okay, when you do that, you can feel kind of the area of your pubic bone and lower. You feel that kind of come up and in as well. And if you think about scar tissue kind of binding down the tissue, that's going to have a huge impact on the pelvic floor. Muscles should be able to move and stretch and contract where they're supposed to be. So if there's something binding that down, that's going to play a role in how those muscles can function. So all of that is super, super important to look at. You want to make sure if you have something going on that your therapist is looking at all of that as well. Um... Yeah, next week we're going to talk about a little bit more about that, about what you should expect from your therapist. Everyone's going to be a little bit different, but we really want to dive in into what you should run away from. Yeah, so what, yeah red, red flags to look at and then just kind of, um, I think, you know, we've kind of touched on it. There's a lot of nervousness that comes into mm-hmm. going to see a pelvic floor therapist. And so I think that having the information um, kind of in your back pocket can really help to alleviate a lot of those nerves. And mm-hmm. so we want to just kind of give you a basic understanding of what that first visit with a pelvic PT looks like, um, kind of what, and again, like Kelly said, you know, we all have our own, our own way of doing things, our own spiels, our own soapboxes. Um, but again, we want to give you guys the tools so that you're not nervous kind of going into going in to see a pelvic PT. Exactly. All right. Well, as we wind down, Rachel came up with our PSA, our pelvic service announcement for the week. So I'm going to let you take that away. Take a look. Take a look. Take Take a a look. Take a feel. Yeah. 
stick a mirror down there. We talked about that in the first episode. Did you do it yet? Do it. Go home. Do it right now. Insert a finger and do a Kegel. Can you feel all three layers contract? Can you feel all three layers relax? Um, just what do you feel? Yeah. So Again, if you don't know what's normal, you don't know what abnormal is. Exactly. So um, if you have had or know that you have had any sort of dysfunction in any of the things that we talked about, um, whether it be this week or last week's episode where we talked about normal function. Again, please, please, please come see us. We are at Optimal Physical Therapy in Amarillo, Texas. Again, huge, huge thank you to Optimal for being our sponsor of this show. We would not be here without them. I also have to uh, clarify something. from episode one um, when I talked about Alita our boss here at Optimal and just everything that she educated me on I was going back and listening as I was editing and I said that she made me check her pelvic floor (laughs) so um, I just want to go back and kind of reword that and explain that situation (laughs) a little bit more um, Alita did not make me do anything. We <laughs> we discussed things. She well, she made me read the material and educate myself. But then she kind of was like, "You can get what out of this what you want, but you know, before you touch a patient, you've you've got to do an internal exam. And if you would like, since all the classes are shut down because of COVID." Um, I will let you perform that on me if you would like. You absolutely do not have to. So when I said made, I was thinking that sounded pretty terrible. She gave me a phenomenal educational experience. It was extremely, extremely professional. um, And just she kind of talked me through that, helped me get over some nerves, um, educated me on what I should be looking for, what was normal, made sure I knew what I was doing after, I mean, I'd been practicing on the piece of paper. So (laughs) we spent a long time preparing because Alita is someone, as any clinician should be, who always, always puts her patient's care, her patient's safety first. And so the whole point of that was I was not going anywhere near a patient without her first knowing and me knowing that I knew what I was doing, that I was safe to be with patients. I just wanted to clarify that because I realized that sounded so bad. And I just, I don't know, maybe it didn't to anybody else. So I just wanted to make sure that everybody understands because Alita is really so phenomenal. She's a blessing to this earth. My gratitude. So anyway, that's my PSA. I was not forced no to one, check no, anybody's pelvic No one floor. is forced to do internal, to perform no. internal absolutely not so um so but yeah so next week we'll be talking about what to expect from your pelvic pt appointment um again if you would like to come see us we are at optimal physical therapy solutions in amarillo texas um again we will probably put the link to the apta website where you can find a pelvic therapist near you if you are not here in amarillo So be sure to follow us on social media at Pelvic Service Announcement for weekly updates. You can also follow our personal accounts, which is linked. If you have any questions, we would love, love, love for you to write in. Um, And that's it for this week. All right. See See you guys next week. week.